0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Thank you. Thank you. You may have your seat as we sit into the house of the Lord. Pray for me. I have a little coffee. Oh, I may start preaching fast and screaming and yelling. Lord, have mercy. That coffee, boy, goodness gracious. I'm trying to slow my heart down. (laughs) I'm having hallelujah (laughs) palpitations. Oh, my goodness. Welcome to Downtown Church. You're visiting us for the first time online or in person. We are so glad to have you here. As you can tell, we try to have a good time in the house of the Lord as a family. Amen, somebody? Today, we have more family joining our church. will not you put your hands together for God adding to our church. Right here, we have um, our new members, and we will have a baptism. Amen? Ooh, we're going to the water again, right outside, and communion will be right after church, so you'll hear much of that. I probably will forget to say offering, okay? So I'm going to just say that at the top after I get with this, done with the service sermon, I may forget to say, you know, give your offering to the Lord. So just do that. Prepare your hearts and the mind. We're always offering to God. I just get caught up in what the Lord is doing right here, so I lose myself. Amen, somebody? But we always need to give to the Lord. Um, It is a form of worship, and I want to make sure that I make that clear. As we have been preaching through our sermon series, uh, which has been surrounding the mission and the vision of our church. Everybody say mission and say vision. And what, you, what we have been trying to do is embed the DNA of what we uh, want everybody in this family to carry out. Um, I remember when I was growing up, everybody had to leave the house um, making sure that we walked out a, as a unit, right? Uh, you couldn't walk out the house looking crazy, dressed crazy. Um, you know, I couldn't do any of that because I represented my mother uh, and my pops. And it was, it was more so my mother making sure that you don't be my son walking out this house looking crazy. That's just not what you do. Um, and so, that was her way of saying that's the vision and the mission of this house. The way that we the way we've been communicating that is through we're kingdom people, right? We have a kingdom agenda. Um, we're gospel-empowered. And this week, we're dealing with the aspect of being unified in diversity. Everybody say unity, unity. in diversity. You know why that's important? It's important because it's, it's core to the belief system of what we, um, what we have as believers. It's not just a personal salvation, which is what we're getting into. It's a collective identity. God saved a people, not a person. God saved a people, not a person. And so when we understand that, what Richard did um, a couple weeks ago was expounded on the idea that God has inaugurated the kingdom of God. That the kingdom is here. The full expression of it is here, and it, it, is ha- it has not been fully Um, it has not come to its full comprehension, right? We're waiting on the restoration and the consummation of God to come to fulfill all of his kingdom. But he's come and inaugurated that, the here and the now, and we're living in the already but not yet. And the beautiful aspect of that is we can live like kingdom people, although we're yet in the full expression of the kingdom. Somebody should have moved their feet on that one. Because what God is saying that we, as a people, have inherent um, to we've inherited to us as children of the living God, all of what comes with the kingdom of being kingdom people, and what we're trying and what Richard did was articulate that, and we said we're gospel empowered. Gospel empowered is not this gospel as I was trying to articulate last week that is defined by social, cultural, and societal norms. The gospel is defined by what Jesus had did in an expression to save a people for his glory. And those people are not saved with a gospel that is merely only in language uh, or in word, but it also manifests itself in what? Deed. Right? Last week I was making a point that the gospel, you can't say that we just believe in a gospel, but yet people are living without food, shelter, people are struggling with paying their bills, people are struggling in so many different ways, and yet we want to debate what the gospel is but not fulfill the needs of the people around us. Being gospel people, as the Bible articulates, makes people glad, brings peace to the community. Therefore. Make sure that downtown church is always a gospel-empowered church, not merely in what we communicate, but also in how we act. And this week, we're getting to the unity and diversity. This element in which we think that the new community, in our expression of the vision, that downtown church exists, and if you know this, say it with me, to form a new community. Everybody say new community. That radically loves Christ and neighbor. That radically loves Christ and neighbor. Meaning we're going, we're going to do whatever it takes for people to feel the truth of God's love and to understand the deep desire He has for all people to be accepted in Him. Amen, somebody? So we're going to our text this morning in John 17, <clears throat> starting at verse 20 through 21. I wanna say at the outset, I'm not doing a expositional treatment of this particular text. Because we are lifting up our vision and mission, I am expressing where I believe the Bible. Uh, where our mission and vision is rooted and um, is founded upon the Bible. And so, saying that we will have other texts throughout this sermon in order to express why we believe what we believe. Does that make sense? If, say amen if it does. Amen. Let us read the word of the Lord together John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who, be- who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one. Everybody say one. One. Say one. One. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may believe in us, so that the world may believe. Everybody say, believe Believe. that you have sent me. Let us pray. Father, we love you and we say hallelujah to your name because you are the great one, the ancient of days, the line of Judah our God, our King, and our Lord, the one who always reminds us that no matter what, you love us dearly. I pray that your word expresses the desire in which every individual will understand what unity means, what oneness means in Christ and you alone. Father, I pray that I decrease, that Michael Davis decreases, that my words are not the ones that go before the people, but your words, Lord. So allow the words of my heart and the the mirrors of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer. All God's people say together, amen. Amen. So the the vision and the mission of downtown church has to be, (coughs) when it comes to this matter of unity and diversity, it has to be deeply, everybody say deeply, rooted in biblical conviction deeply rooted in biblical conviction because the thing is we can all say that we desire unity and in diversity but yet that not be a full expression in terms of how we live our lives if we are going to be one collective body of believers who are coming under the mission and division of the church this then has to play out in every facet of our lives and when we think about oftentimes when we think about unity in diversity uh, a lot of times what happens is we have isolated understandings of what that means. Um, so, for instance, I like to use cross-ethnic, uh, cross, um, social and cross-generational, particularly because I don't want us to think that we ever arrive. I believe that in the idea in which God is sanctifying us, that work is happening until he comes back. So, just because we have people in a room for different backgrounds does not mean that we've arrived at what God desires. We should always be striving for that. So, in other words, we not only should be striving for that in terms of a desire within practical theology, but we should desire that in terms of God's spirit working mysteriously within his people to draw our hearts and our minds together. Therefore, I always say our church needs to be about the spirit over strategy. Spirit over strategy. So, this work of unity and diversity is more than a strategy. It's more than mere practical theology. It's actually a deeply rooted biblical conviction that is the work of the Spirit. This is why we find ourselves in the high priestly prayer, where Jesus is praying the people of God be one. That's interesting Because when we think about the people of God being one, and we start here, sometimes we start at the glorification, meaning we start at Revelation 7, 9. And I want to speak to the fact that like where we are particularly is how we play out unity and diversity. How many people know we're in Memphis, Tennessee? Just in case you didn't know, we're in Memphis, Tennessee. And so being in Memphis, Tennessee geographically, then statistically, we know that the statistics show that Memphis is predominantly what? African-American, okay? Uh, and the next uh, people group that come after that uh, are white individuals. And so when we think about it, uh, I remember doing research, and we talk about the representing the nations. Uh, particularly, it may be difficult for our context because it's 15% Asian where we are, right? So when we think about what we're trying to do, we want everyone to come into this space no matter what. But we cannot think that we're going to have as... Um, uh, the pastor we had on Bible study this weekend, whose neighborhood represents 76 different nations, that won't necessarily be an expression of downtown church. We want to represent our context, and we want to basically, con- we basically go, uh, uh, transcend the barriers of division within our context, but we want to do it prayerfully, okay? D.J. Bonhoeffer said this, which I thought was pretty interesting, that Christian, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members. A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapse. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray. No matter how much trouble he causes me, his face that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. This is a happy discovery for the Christian who begins to pray for others. Our connection is deeply woven into the spiritual act in which we pray. And this is what Jesus teaches us, and we should understand that because that's what he's saying about his disciples. Because what does he say as he, right before he... Um, after he's washed their feet, what does he say in John 13, 34 through 35? That people would know that you're my disciples if what? If you love one another. The The product of that is the fact that the devil wants us to be divided. And we have to understand that the spiritual work that Jesus is praying for, for the unity, is not merely for us to come together for coming together's sake. Merely for us to only look at Revelation 7.9 and not understand that in 7.10, it talks about the proclamation of salvation. Everything surrounding, I believe, when you look at, if you just do a study around oneness and unity in the Bible, it's surrounded around salvation and belief in Jesus. So what does that mean? A lot of times, depending on where you've come from and how you believe, you've only thought about your salvation personally. You've only thought about your walk and your life with Christ as if, how do I walk with Jesus? I used to love the song, you know, uh, just me and Jesus and don't nobody else, you know, ain't nobody else. But it is somebody else. We're walking together and collectively God is unifying us so that and sanctifying us more so because our main point is unity should lead to belief in Jesus Christ. Unity should lead to belief in Jesus Christ. I'll flesh this out in three points. I flesh this out saying that unity is characterized by the attributes of Christ. Unity should lead to oneness, and unity, a unity that transcends all barriers. When we look at the first point here, the unity that is characterized by by the attributes of Christ, a strong question could be, why the attributes of Christ? Well, because like any tenant, core principle, uh, or doctrine, you have to have a strong, one, doctrine of God, meaning study, understanding of who God is, to the doctrine of humanity. Uh, why is that important? Because one's understanding or anthropological belief system should be set up to understand that all people are created, what? In God's image and his likeness. And yet, understanding that means we have to understand who God actually is. The full expression of unity comes not necessarily merely by um, uh, 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 us just coming together, but it is an expression of God's communable attributes. There are two categories that actually describe God's attributes, incommutable attributes, meaning his invisibil- invisibility, his in, uh, immortality, uh, 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 um, his infiniteness, all in which we can't necessarily res- we can't necessarily express because we're not divine, but yet we can reflect. But the communicable aspects, we can meaning that there are things that we can reflect as human beings towards one another that actually fosters the unity as image bearers. That's important because this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer gets to, and this is what I used the Scripture passage last week, that we all have to recognize that we have the ability to love. We have the ability to show peace, joy, kindness, gentleness, all of which are attributes that foster the right deal of humility they foster us bearing, one another, bearing with one another because we have an eagerness to keep the bond of peace. This is what Paul talks about. So then when you understand who, who God is, the deeper understanding of who God is allows, us you, allows each of us to foster that level of unity that's necessary for the people of God to be together. See, if you didn't recognize I'm a black man, I, I know I surprised a lot of y'all. Uh, but if, if I fill out an application, I got to fill out black African-American. I understand. I understand. You might have been confused so far along. But here's the thing. When I am doing such, it's always, uh, 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 it's always, I'm always mindful of the fact that I am an African-American and the, what I bring to the table is my own culture, my own upbringing, um, my own expressions, et cetera. So, you know, it, the funny thing, like last week, I thought about this, you know, I talked about how my sinuses were acting up and uh, how, you know, I just tried to sweat my sinuses out. And some people scolded me and said, you know, you, you don't need to do that, you need to take some medicine. And Adrian I was like, I ain't never heard of that. When, you know, that, that that was just something, you know, it, that, a cultural thing that I feel like my family adopted out of nowhere. But I say that because all of us come from different backgrounds, but yet no matter what per ethnic group you're from or a generation, um, age, stage, phase, class, it's not a monolith. All of us, within diversity, there is diversity, right? Amen? Within diversity, there is diversity. And understanding that then you have an appreciation and a value for everything that every single person brings to the table. Therefore, you can't just always classify one people group as a certain people group, and think that you know all people group, that same people group from that one expression. I say that because as I preach, as I communicate, as I, as I pastor you, one of the things I try to do is not pastor you because I know one individual who is white, I know one individual that's black, I know one individual that's Hispanic, one individual that's Asian, or one individual that's African, but I try to do it under the prayerful interceding provisions of God meaning being sensitive to how he, God, fosters and allows me to pastor. Even Richard does the same thing. All of us as a staff do the same thing. Shepherd, Lee, and Guy, our elders, all of which because we know that the diverse expression that is before us is one that we have to be under the wisdom, the discernment, and understanding of God. Amen, somebody? So God helps us in knowing him, in a prayerful sense, in the devotional sense, helps us to lead a church and foster the unity that's necessary for diversity. Not only that, we have to understand something that Paul communicates that how is knowing God, how is this connected to knowing God? How does this help us? Because in Ephesians 4, 13 through 16, he says, until we all attain the unity of faith, everybody say faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature human." Manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we, are, we may no longer be children, listen to this, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. Everybody say love. We are to grow up in, the every, in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the, grow, makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love if we're a church that builds ourselves in that attribute of God, what happens is is that we we become way more empathetic. Everybody say empathy. When you think about empathy, it has to be a powerful mechanism in place where so many people have different perspectives so that we come always to a common consensus. That our desire is not to see one supersede the other or inferior or superior, but us to begin to foster an equitable expression in which God, in his love, which God is expressed by the way we come together. Are y'all tracking with me? Amen? That's important because a lot of times when we think about this idea of unity and diversity, it's a good expression until something goes wrong. But a deep biblical conviction allows us to be rooted in something that even though that it causes tension, that we stick with it. And that is the core in which why you always hear me say, there is there's not a, because I believe it's a biblical conviction as to the ministry we do, I'm not swayed easily by some of the concerns or the issues that come up in the media, that come up in culture, that come up in other aspects. We deal with them. And we even understand that as God calls a tribe, a nation, a tongue, that he calls a deep expression of individuals, that he wants everyone not to come into an environment to be uh, conformed to. The only thing that we are conformed or transformed by is Christ and he alone. And so then that means that if our environment does such a thing that where we cause people to conform to a particular norm of things, we're doing the wrong thing. We want everybody to walk through the door feeling as if they can fully express themselves, because we have a good understanding of what the Bible teaches about men, about mankind. And that good understanding about what the Bible teaches about mankind is that for even babies, that we don't have to shut babies up, they express themselves. We don't have to create an environment where this sacred environment is one where everybody has to shut up as an expression. It's it's not an environment where nobody can't shout and dance, where no one can't worship in solitude and silence, but it's an expression, a diverse expression of all worship forms coming together. See, and it's also us dealing with where we are contextually. So many people come from South Memphis. Some people come from North Memphis, West West Memphis, East Memphis, uh, Collierville, Bartlett, Cordova, wherever. People come from all over in terms of our area. And we know that depending on where you grew up in Memphis alone, I'm not even talking about geographically if you're from Georgia or Texas or if you're from across, if you're from, you know, Africa or you're from Europe, any of those other places, alone being in Memphis, we already know the different subcultures that are here. And those subcultures are not necessarily something that we ought to just forget, right? Right? Those subcultures are things that are full expressions of how you how you were raised and how you were brought up, and you bring them into the fold. But here's leading to our next point. Our next point is the fact that we come into oneness, because the devil, as we read in First in, in Ephesians four, the devil is using schemes, beloved. Even now, for you to think a bit, think to yourself, well, I'm not supposed to do etc. I don't want to come under oneness. I don't want to come under the mission and the vision of the church. The way, that, the way that we buck against those things is the devil is always trying to find a foothold to divide the church. We see it universally, right? We understand this because even Stephen Haynes wrote the book about the segregated hour. Dr. Martin Luther King talked about this is the, 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 uh, uh, Sunday morning is the most segregated hour. We see in our church the schisms that happen time and time again. But how do we change it, beloved? Do we change it merely because we think to ourselves that everybody conforms unto one homogeneous principle that we'll all be on the same part? No, no, because that leaves, the, that, that, that allows the person to lose themselves at the door to conform to another reality, to another, um, so to someone else's reality. We don't want that. I know you ain't shouted yet, but this probably won't be a shouting, son. This is one for us to understand why we do what we do. And we do it because the next point is we want a unity that leads to oneness. A unity that leads to oneness, a good expression of this, is the the Olympics. How many people love the Olympics? Just say amen. Because when you see the Olympics, I've been watching a lot of uh, the YouTubes right now of uh, everybody kind of trying out for the Olympics. Uh, You know, Sade wanted to race me yesterday. I I told her, you're pregnant, so I don't want to have to smoke you while I'm racing. You know, it'd be disrespectful. But I'm one of the fastest people y'all ever know. But needless to say, needless to say, and and watching that, everybody's preparing themselves to represent their own nation, right? And as they represent their own nation, what's one of the most powerful things when you see uh, your country represented uh, in first place? They're holding the flag. They're holding the paraphernalia. And they're also singing a song. They're singing a song that that actually brings about or is supposed to bring about a level of unity, saying that everybody comes under this idea of a nation. We, beloved, do that. We do that in the way that we sing worship and proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ by the way we come together. We essentially wear a jersey. And that jersey is to say that we represent the kingdom of God above every other thing in this world. Just as, much, just as much as you may feel as if you are proud of the United States of America, and that is great, you should be proud to be a child of the kingdom of God. And, the, way, and, and the, the wisdom behind that is we have a goal. So I remember when I played football that every time one of my teammates got in trouble, I got in trouble. I hated that. You know, it was the same thing with some. depending on how, what house you were raised in. If one person got in trouble, everybody got a whooping. But what it, what it does is, when I, when I learn is, essentially is that I need to hold my teammate accountable. I don't just need to do my job. We need to do our job because there is a goal, and the goal is to win the game. And, beloved, let me tell you something. Jesus already won. The victory is already ours. The devil is defeated. And every devilish lie is saying that we can't come together. We can't have oneness. But every aspect in which we desire to do so is us being countercultural to society saying that what God says is his word and we're convicted by it and we won't stop. We will actually continue to find ways to prayerfully come together under the banner of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible helps us with this because the Bible helps us to understand what Jesus was praying for here is Uh, is another representation in in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, where he says, um, for he himself is our peace, who who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the laws of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man. That's where we get the new community. Or one community of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Uh, the, the, the thing here is, is what Jesus done did is not just a work in drawing a people group together. And let's never read Gentile, the relationship of the, between the Gentiles and the Jews as black and white right? Black people and white people. Jewish people were Jewish people. All of you in here, unless you're Jewish, let me know. I, I, we're all Gentiles. Yeah. And so understanding that means that in the diverse expression, even within Gentileness, <coughs> is the idea where God is breaking down every dividing barrier that causes us not to be one, to continue to fight through, uh, for, for that bond of peace, where he's making peace in his own flesh, where he's broken his body so that for us, apart from him, we can do nothing. John 15. All of this flows out of Jesus' sacrifice. Oneness comes at a sacrifice. So if I was to practically work this out, then if you are coming together as if we're coming together as one people, then that means we need to sacrifice. See, I was—I know I was raised a particular way. I know many of you were raised particular ways. Certain, several people come from different areas on the globe in this space and understanding that you have your own ideas of what you think church is and what you think life should consist of and you have your own value system, et cetera. But can I tell you something? That your value system does not supersede what Christ says about his church. So that means then you can actually sacrifice aspects within your value system in order to be one because here we're trying to create a new phenomenon as to why we do what we do and that 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 reality is fleshed out by how we love one another here i'm a big huge i'm a huge proponent that if we can't love one another here we can't love no one of y'all there and we can't do it in our own house how are we going to do it somewhere else and then also, I'm a huge proponent of the fact that it's costly to sacrifice ways, friends, people, and things in order to foster the oneness that's, that's important. See, it's easy for me and my family to do that because we came from St. Louis. And so we had to develop new friendships. It's difficult for some of y'all that are here that live in Memphis. Because you are so rooted and ingratiated in what you already have, you, don't feel if it, you may not feel as if it's necessary to create and develop those new friendships, which then challenges once you begin to, I, I relate it a lot to when I came to know the Lord, and maybe you probably feel the same way. When I first became, became a believer, I had no, I, 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 you know, I became a believer when I was a teenager. I didn't grow up in a church. We started going to church when I was a teenager, and um, I had nothing but people that did not know the Lord around me right? Because I didn't know the Lord. But then when, when the Lord slapped me, I was five baptized, um, filled with his spirit, changed, transformed by the renewing of my mind. Uh, my goodness. I almost shouted right there. That what, what, what happened was I didn't think the same. My values changed. And so the people I hung around changed. And I had a group of brothers who came around me and they said, Mike, you know, well, they, they, they were actually from another neighborhood, a rock, like a high school that we rivaled, that we couldn't even play because we were fighting. But those became my brothers in the Lord. And I began to develop a, a familiar relationship with them that was deeper than any relationship I had ever had. I say that because I believe that same expression happens to oneness here in diversity that the idea in which that we have friends, relationships, people, when we begin to preach a gospel that is countercultural, it pushes in on some of your family values, it pushes in on some of your friend values, it pushes in on some of the things that you hold dearly to and it transforms it. I'm always challenging what I believe by the Bible. We should always do that. Right? Anything that we believe that it is important, we have to ask ourselves, is this a biblical mandate? And there are so many different things that, particularly in the South, that we have because we're in the Bible belt that we think that are biblical mandates that are not even in the Bible. So, beloved, we have to always consistently remind ourselves that what the Bible teaches is us for us to be one. That's what Jesus Praying for it, so that other people in the in the in, in our communities, in the nation, in the world may see a church that is more unified than anything on the face of the earth, and people will then ask the question: Why are these people so unified? Why are black people and white people sitting in the same space together and we are consistently having the same racial issues that we had at the inception of this country? Why are people from different uh, 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 people groups coming into the United States and coming into this particular area uh, uh, in downtown Memphis and being in relational community with other ethnic groups and other ages? How are are older folks coming under the leadership of some younger folks? You got to ask yourself that question sometimes, right? How are some of the... are some, of, uh, 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 some of the other folks that are, that are from economic different, from economically diverse areas coming into this church and feeling secure and not inferior about themselves, maybe because they don't have as much money as their counterpart. How do we foster that relationship? How does that happen? We all have to then come under the understanding that it is only the blood of Jesus that allows a people to feel that level of dignity to come into a space and, and know that they're respected. That is the oneness that we have. That is the value system that we build. And also, we know that the unity, it transcends cultural barriers. This unity transcends cultural barriers. It was Jay-Z who thought to himself, and I'll read it, who said to himself, anybody know who Jay-Z, don't know who Jay-Z is? Uh, You don't know who Jay-Z, you know who Jay-Z, he's a rapper. And music, for him, um, was the way that he got out of his particular context. And he says something that I thought was culturally intriguing. And it was a very strong comment. He says, in his opinion, I think hip-hop has done more for racial, rec- racial relationships than, the cultural, than most cultural icons, save Martin Luther King, because his dream speech was realized when President Obama got elected. The impact of what Jay-Z, uh, the impact Jay-Z continues, he says, isn't limited to one group. That's the impact of hip-hop. It's not limited to one group, age uh, age range, background, or uh, a, a geographic location either. This music didn't only influence kids from urban areas. People listened to the music all around the world, and they took to this music. Racism, he adds, is a learned behavior that that becomes difficult to teach in a home where hip-hop artists are respected and celebrated. Racism is taught in the home, Jay-Z says. It's very difficult to teach racism when your kids love Snoop Dogg. Outside the home, hip-hop music has brought people together in his understanding. He said before people partied in uh, separate clubs, there were hip-hop clubs, and there were techno clubs. Uh, And he further explains, now people party together. And once you have people partying, 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 y'all get what I'm saying. I can't even say that T right now. Dancing and singing along to this same music. This conversation naturally happened after that. Through these conversations, a powerful realization emerges we all realize that we're more alike than we're separate. This is the reality that he says come from hip-hop. How does this art form and different art forms transcend cultural barriers? We have to ask ourselves that. He believes that essentially hip-hop is the gospel that unifies people together from all different ages, stages, and phases of life. But see, I think that what the fault here is for us to challenge the narrative in which such a genre of music, music will bring people together. There's one genre of music, that, or, or, or there's one kingdom expression that I believe that does that. And the Bible helps us with that. Starting in Galatians 5 and 6. Galatians 5 and 6 actually says, <coughs> Galatians 5 and 6 says that for in Christ, neither circumcision or un- nor uncir- uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Colossians 3.11. Here we see there is no Jew, there, there is not Jew, Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian slave free, but Christ is all and in all. And then see, here's the concert beloved. Revelation 7.9, where we typically try to go first when we think about a diverse expression of unity, but that's the glorification of unity. What we see, and the victory, the ultimate authority of that. Where we see after, the Bible says, after this, meaning this vision, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And listen to this, beloved. Listen to verse 10. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is the way in which we declare what actually brings people together. Because what Jesus says is, he doesn't say, I want you to conform to a idea. He says, I want you to conform and be transformed to what I am doing in your hearts, in your minds, and in your lives but he, But I want you to think about it. He doesn't ask you to change your language. He doesn't ask you to change your complexion. He doesn't ask you to change what you have in your pocket. He doesn't ask you to change your clothes. He doesn't ask you to change anything that he's made you inherently with besides the fact that he wants you to be transformed. When we hold on to that notion, it challenges a lot of the ways that we believe, and I want you to walk out of here understanding that you need to do that. You need to assess what are you holding dear to that is not biblical. That it may be good, but it's not biblical. It may be good, but it doesn't foster the oneness that we have here. It may be good, but it doesn't transcend the cultural barriers that kind of keep us divided where we are. It may be good, you get where I'm going, don't you? So, it's not the fact that there are not good things in your value system is the fact that when you begin to change in order to come under the mission and the vision of this church, what happens is you begin to sense and understand that it's beyond any genre in this nation. It is beyond any value system, beyond any ethnic group, beyond anything that will cause us not to come together. And it's every scheme that the devil is trying to work to not bring us together. Are y'all tracking with me? So then when I close, I want you to understand this. Is that what Jesus prays is when we, by the time we get to the end of this, he prays that a people who are collectively saved by his grace, by his mercy, by his power and filled with his spirit are people that are interceding daily for one another. When you leave, the, leave this place, if you're in community groups, if you're in community with one another, if you know a couple people names, if you know each other, I'm asking you to pray for one another. I'm not asking you to forget the friends that you have and the good friends that you that, that are come along, that, that are with you. I'm asking you to invite them into the, to the oneness, into the unity that you have here in order for you to continue to maintain the bond of peace eagerly that the Bible teaches us to, so that we may walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. All language that the gospel teaches us to do daily. And I want you to understand something. When we talk about submission, Typically, we talk about submission in one way, but the Bible tells us to do it with truth and love. When you continue to read Ephesians 4, truth and love means the fact that there are some things that you believe are lies and it will hurt you. But when you hear truth and love, it's nothing but to care for you. Did you hear what I just said? There are some things that you believe and you hold to that are not necessarily truth. I mean, trustworthy statements. And so, you have to disavow yourself of those things so that the lovingness of truth will begin not to make you feel good about yourself, but that you may be unified under the blood-stained banner of Jesus Christ. See, Tony Evans helped me out because he had a good analogy one time. He used the analogy of the emulsifier. Many of you probably heard me use this before. Some of y'all have not. But I think the powerful analogy of the emulsifier is the fact that it is a mechanism that brings things together that are not supposed to be together. So, you know, oil and uh, vinegar don't mix. Uh, oil and water don't mix, right? But how many people like mayonnaise? I don't. I like hot sauce and mustard and whatnot, but I'm glad for the people that do like mayonnaise. But mayonnaise has some ingredients that, come, that, that don't mix, and there needs to be an emulsifier to bring those things together. And see, what happens is, is that when you get ingredients that don't mix, they they, they separate themselves naturally. But there's an egg. The egg is the emulsifier. And what it does is when you crack it and you bring those ingredients together and you mix it, it begins to make the very thing that you enjoy. And see, what what happens is there wasn't harmony at one time between those ingredients. But that emulsifier sits in the middle, interceding. Making sure that those things, snatching them from their backgrounds and putting them together and saying that you are one together in order to make something tasteful. Beloved, that's what the blood does from the cross. When Jesus said that it was finished... What he said was, and what he demonstrated is, he's the emulsifier. Bringing people together who are not supposed to be together. Snatching you from your backgrounds. Taking you from what you thought you once knew to what you now know in newness of life. In order for you to have a mind that is renewed and able to work together for the glory of God himself. And what he said is his body was broken. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Everything was beat down, broken in him, and made sure that as he was run over, we were put together. As he was torn apart, we were able to be whole. And when you understand what the blood of Jesus Christ does, you know that there is nothing, 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 nothing that will separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Beloved, I'm telling you right now, there's no amount of racism, no amount of tribalism, no amount of sexism, no amount of misogyny that will keep us from loving each other as long as we're doing it under the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ our Lord. If you believe it, won't you shout glory? And we find ourselves humbly before the cross. And we know that Jesus is at the center of everything that we do. And we want people to believe that, understand that. And as our new family comes today, and as we come to the table is an expression of what God is doing in drawing people, the beloved community, together. Amen, somebody? Let us pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for your glory, for your mercy. And Lord, we know that you are at the center of everything. That nothing else matters, Lord. That you are our joy, you are our Mm. peace, And Lord Jesus, as we talk about this idea of unity and diversity and live it out in the mission and vision of our church, I pray, Lord, that you give us the strength, God, the wisdom, the discernment, that you give us humility and bless us with harmony so that we may bear with one another, always forgiving one another. So that we may be a collective children, a treasured possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation under your name in christ alone all together proclaiming your goodness for we pray this in the precious name of jesus christ our lord all god's people say together amen let us continue to worship by the way that we give you should see the number of the text right here on the screen